Good morning. Uh, my name is Rob Duffy, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning. And uh, most of you that know me know I tend to be a man of few words, and uh, I don't talk a lot, and I'm sure you campers are anxious to get out of here, so I'll try to stick to that. Um, I'd like to wish all the fathers out there happy Father's Day. Um, I know myself personally, being a father is one of the greatest things uh, that you can be, and um, even more so, you know, our Heavenly Father, the fact that he chose each of us is just tremendous. Um, a few years ago, I was challenged uh, on a topic by a couple of pastors. I go to a couple different Bible studies, and this Bible study um, has two former pastors in it, and we got into the debate about predestination. So um, I reached out to Rusty to give me some uh, background and, and help me out in that conversation. Uh, so, of course, in uh, God's infinite sense of humor, he would have me talk on predestination today. Um, so we'll be going through, as Rusty said, Romans eight twenty six through 39. And uh, my prayer is the Holy Spirit intervenes today so that Christ will speak through me. Uh, before I jump in, I'd like to take a moment to share more about me and my testimony. Uh, first, um, I've been married to my best friend, Beth, for 32 years next month. She's sitting back there. And, uh, and pray for her, because as I share more about me, you'll understand why you need to pray for her. Um, we have three awesome kids, um, Charlie, Tyler, and Rose. Rose is here this morning. Uh, two wonderful daughters-in-law, uh, Shelby and Cassidy, and our latest addition to our family, uh, Olivia June, our granddaughter. Uh, a little bit more about me. I was born and raised in Southern California, by loving parents, I've got an older brother, two younger sisters. Um, we grew up in uh, a very extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. All of them had a significant influence on in my life. Uh, we were all very involved in the church, and my grandmother, my grandma Holcroft, uh, was my Sunday school teacher when I was six years old, and I accepted Christ. Uh, my father and uh, both my grandfathers were teachers in the church and elders and leaders of the church. Um, my uh, brother and I, uh, we did a thing at our children's church. It was a puppet ministry. We did that for a long time through high school. And uh, my sisters as well, we, we taught Sunday school. We did vacation Bible school. Uh, we did uh, mission trips. Um, and we just, like I said, my mom led vacation Bible school, was a Sunday school teacher. Um, but what I realized over time is I was caught up in the activity of doing church. I didn't really understand God's grace until recently. And contrary to everything that I just said there, um, I was the kid growing up that didn't have any fear. Uh, my buddies knew that I didn't have much fear, and so they always challenged me to do stuff. And they always said, Duff will do it. I won't bore you with all, all the tales, but uh, there are a few examples. Uh, one day over the summer, we were playing baseball down at our elementary school, and one of the kids hit the ball up on the roof. And uh, it was a two-story roof, and there was a drainage pipe that came just short of the second story. So I said, I can climb it, and I climbed up and got the baseball down. Um, at that same elementary school, if you got in trouble at recess, you had to go stand on the wall outside the classroom. And my mom said to me one time, Robert, I just wish I could come to school once and not see you standing on the wall. <laughs> Side note, my uh, elementary school principal went to our church um, and was friends with my parents, obviously, so he had free reign to use the paddle. I wouldn't say the paddle and I were friends, but close. <laughs> I continued to push boundaries through junior high and high school. 
uh, college and even into my military and corporate career. I still have not grown much, another reason to pay, uh, grown up much, another reason to uh, pray for Beth. I played all kinds of sports as a kid, but was drawn to football. I was blessed to have men of faith all throughout my football career from uh, elementary school up through college. And that's where Beth and I met. Uh, she played basketball, and ironically, four of her teammates married four of my teammates. So um, we served in Germany and uh, we were in the Army. And when we got out, we moved to Ohio, which is where Beth is from, just outside of Cleveland. Less than a year later, we moved to Green Bay, go Packers. Our desire to get us closer to family brought us to Indianapolis. Uh, shortly after arriving, Rusty asked Beth and I to help him start Upward Basketball, as, as Rusty mentioned earlier, a program that blessed us significantly because all three of our kids accepted Christ through Upward Basketball. I gained a deeper understanding during that time about uh, how I can use three of my passions, Christ, kids, and sports. Um, so for the next 20-plus years, I served on uh, boards and um, also coached uh, various sports. As my journey through life continued, I learned I did have a significant fear, though, the fear of failure. Um, I was so used to going 100 miles an hour that uh, it was a challenge to slow down. I was so competitive in everything, I still am, some would argue, and I saw anything short of perfection or what I perceived to be success as a failure. The evil one latched onto that fear, and I don't know if Nick's here today, but uh, Nick Ford talked about it last week or two weeks ago when he talked about um, the evil one attacks you personally. And uh, I started hearing things like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a father. I'm a failure as a husband. I'm a failure as a coach. You name it, he attacked. I knew this wasn't true. And I'm not saying this to boast, but I've been successful in all of those areas through Christ. However, the doubts mounted, and I turned to alcohol to mask those feelings. The power of sin was attacking my flesh, and it was causing my faith and my relationship to suffer. Flash forward a few years, and Rusty, after I talked to him about that, suggested I meet with Luke Dunnett and go through the Roman study. Luke and I could not be more opposite in terms of personality. I'm very stoic, as I, as I said earlier, and, well, you all know Luke. Um, but the worst part about our relationship is that he beat me in the 2003 Rec Football Championship for fourth graders. And he reminds me of it weekly, for the record. Yeah, I think Noah was on that team. <laughs> uh, so God and Rusty uh, foreknew this study would open my eyes, talk about predestination. God sees me and all of us as saints, righteous and redeemed through Christ. Luke and I are involved in several studies now. One of them was with guys we have coached with. Coach Wimmer, thanks for being here, have coached with over the years. What a blessing to see these guys walk with Christ. It's amazing. And yes, we're also in the varsity study on Friday morning, or as we call it now, the Apes and Peacocks study. <laughs> for reference, see uh, 1 Kings 10.22. Um, it talks about uh, Solomon have, uh, bringing in apes and peacocks every three years. So we just thought that was interesting. Scott Blewett is leading that study through the Old Testament on Friday morning. And one of the things we talk about is how we fall in the same power of sin trap that the Israelites did. You know, the Israelites would align with God, reach their pinnacle, they would fall down, 
they would reach out to God again, and, and as we say in our study, wash, rinse, repeat. And, you know, after I read through the Old Testament for the first time, I, I looked in the mirror and realized I do the same thing. You know, I fall down, I sin, I get back up. You know, uh, I know that I'm, I'm saved. I, I, I don't have any doubts about that. But, uh, you know, I go through that same cycle, wash, rinse, repeat. Um, also, you know, one of the things that stuck in my mind uh, was a song by Bernie Me, The Cross Has Made You Flawless, you know, through Christ. You know, we can't, we can't do this on our own. I, I know I can't. So, hey, Jim, if you could uh, bring up the first slide. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit interceding uh, for the saints, which is all of us. We're going to talk about foreknowledge and predestination and our victory in Christ. You can go to the next slide. So we'll start off in Romans 8, 26, and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, at times, we, we don't know what to pray for, um, you know, but the good news is the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit knows our heart, and he relays that message to God on our behalf. Uh, if you go to the next slide, John fourteen sixteen, uh, Christ knew this, and he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, ever. That's the, the Holy Spirit. When Beth and I first moved to Indy, I had taken a job that was a train wreck. Uh, I was distraught because I left a solid career in Green Bay and moved our family here, and we were in the process of building a house. About that time was when Rusty asked Beth and I to lead upward basketball. I thought, God, what is this? You know, things are not going well right now. Why, why are you asking me to take something else on? Through my prayers, though, I felt like God was saying, trust me, you know, I'm going to work this out. And it should be no surprise to anyone that as soon as we accepted that challenge, that things started to fall into place. The Holy Spirit intervened for us, even though I didn't realize it at the time. But God knows our heart, and he knows what we need before we do. Many of you know Woody Cumbie. He was the pastor at Northside at that time, and he came to one of my uh, football games early on when I was coaching. And uh, I used to pray with the teams before every game, and it was the typical polite prayer, you know, uh, asking that everybody plays to their ability, asking that, you know, we use the uh, gifts and abilities that God's blessed us with, you know, asked that nobody get hurt and all that stuff. And Woody looked at me and said, why don't you pray for victory? And I said, well, that sounds kind of arrogant. And he said, well, you want to win, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, God knows that. You might as well ask him. So from then on, I started asking. Uh, I, was, I would pray for victory. And uh, one of my players the following week, uh, when we knelt down and took our helmets off to pray, he looked at me and said, yeah, we better pray. It worked last week. <laughs> Wyatt Downing, I won't forget him. Um, praying for victory doesn't mean that we will be victorious, but it does mean the will of God will be done, and uh, that is what we truly need. If you can go to the next one, Ephesians. Ephesians 6.18 indicates we need to look beyond our needs as well. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with, it, with this in view, be on alert with all per- perseverance and petition for all the saints. Uh, my grandpa Holcroft, a man that I love and respect dearly, he used to pray without ceasing. I'm going to try to get through this. God used him to pr- pray for his large family, his children, his grandchildren, 
his great-grandchildren, and the community of believers. At his funeral, the church was standing room only. The people were in the hallways. It was flowing outside the church. And, um, you know, everybody knew that he was a man that was used by the Holy Spirit to intercede. So not only does the Holy Spirit intercede for us, but he also uses others, other believers, other saints to pray for us. I just wish that he were alive today so I could sit down and have that conversation with him about grace and peace because I know he got it. Um, Next verse. Uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. I was so focused on failure, I could not see God's awesome plan for me. You know, we've got a God of grace and peace. I've got a beautiful wife, got great children. I had a great career, coaching success, and all I could see was the one or two trees in that forest that didn't fit in or didn't fit into my eyes. I was wasting too much time worrying versus resting. Yet God had his plan all laid out for me. I just had to realize it. And he's still working that plan. In uh, Matthew 11, 28, Christ spells it out for us. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Regarding God's purpose for us, I used to read the Bible, still do all the time, and a long time ago, I, realized, I used to get so frustrated because I didn't understand the verse. I didn't understand the words. I didn't understand that chapter or that section of the Bible. And what I came to realize is I'm not supposed to. God's going to reveal it to me when, he, when he's ready for me to, to get it. And so uh, through several mentors, and I read a book from Pastor Wayne Cordero, and it was called The Soap Bible Study Method. Um, you can see it up there on the screen, but... Basically, what it says is read the scripture. What's going to stand out to you is what God wants you to get out of it. So whatever pops in your mind is, is exactly what God's trying to tell you. So you, you observe that word or that verse or that segment, and, and you dwell on that. And then you say, okay, how does that apply to me? And then you pray about it. And uh, once I started doing that, you know, the, the Bible really started to open up to me. And I really started to get a lot more of what God was trying to tell me. God will work out his plan according to his purpose, his purpose. Think about that for a minute. Who knows the plan better, you or the creator of the universe? (laughs) I mean, the one that created us. I mean, he he created you. He knows what's best for you. All right, now here we go into the fun topic, uh, predestination and foreknowledge. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son, so that he would be the first, firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I'll get right to the point. You know, this confused me for a long time, and it still does. But, you know, as I dig more into the word, as we always need to, this is how I see it. We need to pay attention to the order of the words. We need to pay attention to the tense of the verbs. And we need to take it in context of 66 books with the verses before and after. God knows everything, past, present, and future. God foreknew that you were going to choose him. He knew that you were going to accept him and follow him. He didn't take away your free will. You still have that choice. But God knows the decision that you were going to make. And that's what he, what he says he foreknew that you would make that choice. 
So when he talks to predestination, he's talking about our predestination to receive a glorified body. So if you look at those verses closely, it talks about Christ having the foreknowledge that you're going to accept him. And then the predestination is you're going to be conformed to Christ. So it's not predestination that you're going to choose him. God just knows you're going to choose him. The predestination is that you will be conformed to Christ when you accept him, and you will receive a glorified body. God calls everyone, but some choose to, some, uh, choose to follow, and those that follow are predestined to be justified and glorified. In 1 Peter 1.20, explains the foreknowledge of Christ as our Savior. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared to these last times for the sake of you. I mean, think of that. That's very personal. You know, he did that for the sake of you individually. Further, in Colossians 3, 3 and 4, it emphasizes our conforming to the image of Christ. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. So that's the predestination part. You will be revealed in glory once you accept him. As I said previously, um, you know, I'm a, I've been involved in football for a long time. And one of the ways that helped me understand this is I used to study film all the time. And I, I, I got to know what the players were going to do. So I would call plays expecting the players, our opponent, to react a certain way. So I foreknew what that player was going to do. And then the predestination was the next play, because once he reacted the way I expected him to, I would call the play. And he had, he had the choice. He had the free will to follow his assignment and stick to his rules. But I knew or foreknew what, what was going to happen when I called that play, because I had studied and understood and foreknew, just like Christ foreknew the choice we were going to make, and predestination was, was the result of us receiving a glorified body. And since we live in Indiana, I would be miss, remiss if I didn't use a basketball example. Um, I coached my daughter, Rose, her travel in AAU basketball teams for a long time. And what I learned early on after a couple years is uh, the girls would run the plays to run the plays. So they were predestined to run the play. And after a while, I began to understand that about them. So in sixth grade, I changed that up and I said, okay, we're not going to run plays anymore. I gave them three formations, and then I gave them a set of kind of rules or guidelines on how to move on the court based on those those formations. So at that time, you know, I foreknew what they were going to do and how to react, but the goal was for them to score, not to run the play, okay? So I foreknew that they were going to just continue to run the play, but over time, they began to understand that the, the guidelines of the rules was to get them the open shot or give them the opportunity to attack the basket. And so that was the predestined part. Once they got that, then they were predestined. And, you know, hopefully we scored. Not always, but hopefully we did. Um, but God laid out his play through Christ and our choices to follow him. When we choose to follow him, his foreknowledge predestines each of us to be his children, justified and glorified saints. This is significantly better than scoring a touchdown or making a basket. In Ephesians 1.5, Paul emphasizes this amazing fact. He predestined us 
to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. I would encourage you to read the rest of that chapter um, so you can see the progression that Christ lays out for us through grace. Now, as we uh, get into the closing verses of uh, chapter 8, really focus on the words that God is expressing here and the power of God and the absolute victory he gives us through Christ. What should we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? I, I, just, I get stuck right there. If God is for us, who is against us? I mean, think about that. The God that created the universe is for us. Who has the authority to stand up against us? Nobody. God's sovereignty rules. God's sovereignty is always there for us. In John 17, 1 through 3, Jesus tells us of his authority from God. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. I'm going to read that again. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So you can see there, God lays it out for us through Christ. Also, um, Revelation 1.8 speaks to God's sovereignty. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, I, when you think about God's power and reverence, it's just amazing to me that he wants to have an individual relationship with you, just one-on-one. In Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, How will he not also freely give you all things, freely give us all things? The old covenant required sacrifice, animal sacrifices for atonement and the covering of sin. But that's what it did. It atoned or covered the sin. It didn't didn't get rid of it. But the new covenant through God, he gave his only son to sacrifice for us, the living eternal sacrifice. And it provided a path for us to be holy, righteous, and redeemed once and for all. If you think about that for a minute, why would God change his covenant? Why, why would he do that and expect the same result? He, he, he didn't do it that way. Why would God sacrifice his son if he was not providing everything we need? You know, we're sitting here on Father's Day, and I, there's, it would be much easier for me to sacrifice myself than to give up one of my sons. I don't know that I could do that. I know I couldn't. But he did that for us. Hebrews 9, 13 through 15 breaks it down for us. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise 
of eternal life, of the eternal inheritance. Now for our confirmation in Christ, in Romans 8, 33 and 34, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he, he who died, yes, rather, he who was raised, is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Christ, through God, is the only one that can justify us. So he justified us through his only living son, Jesus Christ. No one has ability to uh, condemn that. As we learned in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 41.10 takes that a little bit, says, Do not fear, which is what I have a problem with to this day. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Christ intercedes on our behalf as he overcame condemnation and the sin of this world with his death, burial, and resurrection. In Hebrews 7, 24 through 27, it talks about the permanent intercession that Christ made on our behalf. But Jesus, on the other hand, became, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save us forever, those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, for it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first his own sins, and then for the sins of people, because he died once and for all, and he offered up himself. How can I see myself as a failure when that's not how Christ sees me, or God sees me? God sees us as holy, righteous, and redeemed. I can't say that enough. Through Christ, because he, permanent, he permanently eradicated all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now, the last section here in Romans, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's an excerpt from uh, Psalms 44:22. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can the evil one or anything in this world separate us from the love of God? I mean, he says it pretty clearly right there that there isn't anything that can separate us. I know that far too often I want to focus on what I want versus what God knows I need. You know, that, that a lot of times interferes and gets in the way of what God has for us. 
the example that continues to run through my head, and actually I was going to use one of these two, but a good friend of mine said use both. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Glory, but it's a, it's a movie about the, uh, the fir- one of the first black regiments to fight in the Civil War. And uh, they chose a pretty inexperienced commander to lead them into battle. And uh, that, that commander, over time, started to understand that, you know, his job was to give the soldiers what they need, not necessarily what they want. And some of it was, was pretty harsh. Some of it was discipline. Some of it was things that they didn't understand why he was doing it. He even had to convince his fellow officers that I really need to push these men because my job is to keep them alive in battle not to be their friend. And throughout the movie, you can see this struggle going back and forth. But, you know, eventually they get, they get called to go fight in one of the heaviest uh, conflicts of the Civil War. There was a very fortified bunker called Fort uh, Wagner, and they were, they were called on to lead the charge. So they were pinned down. A lot of the men were getting killed. And the commander stood up, grabbed the flag, and charged the hill. And he got shot, and he was killed. But there was a soldier that he had the discipline earlier in the movie that uh, deserted. And when they caught him, he had to discipline that soldier. Well, that same soldier was the one that went and grabbed the flag and charged the hill. He was shot as well. He ended up surviving. But because of their bravery, all the men took the hill, and eventually they they took Fort Fort Wagner. So, you know, God, God has that same principle for us. He knows what we need. We may not always see it. We may view it as harsh. Sometimes we suffer earthly consequences because of our poor decisions. But God knows what's best for us, and he's always going to give us what what we need. Um, I'm going to try to make it through this (laughs) next part. Um, The movie, you know, they recount actual events, but God God's ability to understand and provide for our needs is greater than any commander's or our ability to do so. One other point, God does not need us. You know, he, he can do it all on his own. Many times he chooses to use us. Um, and, you know, this, this has happened to me many times, and I'm sure it's happened to you as well, that God uses you in a circumstance and you don't know about it for years or sometimes even decades later. Um, one of these situations happened to me, and again, I'll try to make it through this without getting emotional, but uh, upward basketball. And it goes back to uh, my now 27-year-old son when he was in second grade. Uh, he wrote an essay for his college entrance exam, and I didn't know about this until he was in college. But here's, here's a, a little clip from the, from the essay. Our team is winning, and I am playing well. I score most of the baskets for our team, even though we don't keep score. Everyone knows the score. We had worked on a particular play all week, and I didn't quite understand the reasoning behind it from a sports perspective. We had a very little player on our team with a disability named Alex. We had designed a play specifically for him where I passed him the ball and allowed him to dribble off my screen. Now, Alex was not a great basketball player, so I didn't fully understand why we had drawn up a play for him. And I knew that I could run the play much better. As expected, after a week of rehearsal, my dad called out the play from the sideline, and I gave Alex the ball. He came off my screen, excuse me, and went in for a wide-open layup. 
He made it. The crowd roared with applause and cheers. Excuse me. Both sides dissipated, and all competitive nature came together as one body, the body of Christ. You know, I didn't know about that for, like I said, 10 or 15 years, but God obviously used me in that situation, and I didn't even know it. God's incredible uh, love for us provides all the, for all of our needs. He gave Christ the authority to do the same. God knows what is best for us, even when we don't realize it. I would like to wrap up this last section with uh, Hebrews 1, 3 through 4. And it talks about uh, the providence of Christ and the positional authority of Christ. And he is in radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. God's grace gave us victory. We are saints, not sinners. Do not let the evil one take your joy by attacking you personally. When it gets into the personal side, you know what's coming from the evil one. When you start hearing things like, I am a failure, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good coach, I'm not a good business leader, That's the evil one attacking. That's not coming from God. Let the Holy Spirit intervene and take care of you. Rest. Rest in him. I will leave you with these final verses. Philippians 4, 7, and 8. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't get distracted by the couple trees that don't fit in your forest. Enjoy the forest that God has laid out for you. Enjoy the beauty and rest in his love. Thank you.